I Don't Miss Mommy. I'm Bryce, this is Plastic Urns, and that was Maria describing her mom. Why does she call her mommy? We'll get to that. Maria does work on advanced battery concepts, is a master of thermodynamics, and is a diehard Pittsburgh Penguins fan. In her spare time, she climbs mountains, does triathlons, and chases her husky around the beach. Now, back to mommy. Yeah, experiences with with death as a 25-year-old, I I got a lot of them. Really got those Girl Scout stars pretty early in my life, Girl Scout badges, and started, alas, with with my mom dying. I was seven years old. My mom had struggled. Oh, no, hold on. Let me rewind it. It actually started when a doctor used an infected needle in my mother's uh, epidural during my sister's pregnancy, my oldest older sister. Um, so a little bit before me, which gave my mother some chronic back pain. She had an infection in her spine. There was essentially nothing to really do for it. She was going to be in, in pain as long as she lived. This caused a downward spiral, and she became addicted to painkillers, among other things. I mean, she was already someone that had an uh, addictive personality type and had you know, been, as they say, experimenting with drugs um, in her life. And so was definitely a person that was very predisposed to addiction with drugs. And when she really hit her downward spiral, you know, I was seven years old, I didn't really get to see it. My older sisters really did see it. They saw a decline in the person that they thought of as their mom and as it got closer to her death, they really did lose this sense of, of mom in her. But when, you know, she, my mother sent my sisters and I to stay with our grandma for a little bit when she was really struggling. And she committed suicide when we were staying with my grandmother. So how I remember it, I was, I had gone to sleep. My older sisters and my aunt were going to pick up more clothes from my mom's house um, because we had been at my grandma's for over a week now and hadn't really heard anything from my mom. Uh, So they decided to go over one night and little Maria had gone to sleep and I woke up to my aunt, you know, trying to tell a seven-year-old that her mother was gone, which is not an easy thing thing to do and not an easy thing for a seven-year-old to comprehend. And uh, the moment that I knew that it was real was I looked up at my oldest sister and just saw the look in her face and her, her eyes and how much she was crying and clearly so disturbed. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, this, this is real. Seven-year-old Maria probably didn't have as eloquent of thoughts as as that, but uh, we were definitely confused for a while. And because I was so young, I didn't find out bits of this story until after. So the story that I've just told is really like putting the puzzle pieces together over the past 25 years, really. 
So, you know, I wasn't old enough to hear that it was suicide. But as a seven-year-old, when you say that, you know, your mom's dead, like, you don't really have a lot of questions. You just kind of accept it and like, oh, all right, this is, I don't understand death, but mommy is gone. And for some reason, I didn't have any questions about it, which is looking back kind of wild. But yeah, I became a (laughs) fucked up little kid, to put it it lightly. I was very confused. And then, you know, when I was in, I think it was seventh grade, they decided, ah, yes, now she is old enough to know that it was suicide. I think that's probably around the age that that kids start, like, learning what suicide is. So that was, like, you know, basically just reliving the entire trauma. And then uh, when I was in high school... Uh, living with my oldest sister, I found the death certificate that my sister had kept, which then detailed out how she did it. Gunshot wound to the head. That was, again, you know, reliving the entire trauma of losing my mom. And I think there have been little bits and pieces that I've figured out, whether that be from things that I found, or honestly, every time my oldest sister gets drunk and decides to share this wealth of knowledge about our fucked up family that she has. Yeah. So, dead moms. <laughs> dead moms. <laughs> dead moms. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, the real kicker, you know, is like, all right, I had mom number one, and then really became close with my grandma. So mom died when I was in, what, second or third grade. And then I moved in with my grandma, got really close to her later because of stupid school districting stuff, had to live with my aunt. But like, basically, my grandma had become a mother figure for me. And then she died of cancer when I was in sixth grade. And so it was just like, nope, mom number one, nope, mom number two, nah. I guess I never tried for mom number three. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's, that's good. Enough. Damn. Yeah. I was about the reaction. <laughs> and you know, that's actually probably one of the better reactions. <laughs> Stun silence probably isn't the better reaction. Um, Stun silence? That, no, but. That, that, all right, let, let's try that over. That is shitty. I'm sorry. I'm glad you've turned out how you have. Um, Because it's pretty awesome. Thank you. What are the shittier reactions you've gotten? Oh, my. Um, <laughs> let's... I think one that... Um, I've talked with a lot of folks that have experienced traumatic things, and kind of the worst one to hear, especially from very privileged rich people that have like clearly never struggled is like oh well you must be so strong because of it and it's like bitch no i'm fucking (laughs) broken i'm traumatized i get triggered all the fucking time i cry because i don't have a mother like no like okay yeah maybe i survived and i ended up pretty good but like this whole concept of like trauma equals stronger is just I don't know who created that narrative but I think that makes you feel pretty shitty when you're like actually no I still feel broken sometimes and pretty fucking broken because of what I went through 
But no, I'm strong because I made it to Stanford. Wow. Another shitty response is just, um, I guess I, I should give more context. Uh, I like uh, was interviewed by a journalist um, in front of like a group of uh, my friends, dads, friend, like entrepreneur friends about my road to Stanford and how it was like a non-traditional path to Stanford than like being spoon fed Stanford Cardinal your entire life. And, you know, afterwards, people that you haven't interacted with will come up to you and just grab your arm and give you this face. I wish the podcast could have like a, a you know, a picture because just like it's 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 just like <laughs> this face of pity with nothing to say. And you're like, uh, should I be sad right now? Like, I, I just told my story. You're like kind of forcing me to be sad at this moment. Like, oh, pity, poor you. It's like, bitch, poor me. What the fuck do you mean? I'm great right now, actually. Thank you very much. Um, My favorite reaction. Yeah. Freshman year of college, I got to Stanford. And, you know, everyone in my high school kind of knew. Yeah, Maria, fucked up childhood, doesn't have a mom, uh, lives with her older sister, must be getting into some trouble. So when I showed up at Stanford, like no one, no one knew that I didn't have parents. It was very common to just, I guess we didn't talk about parents a whole lot, but like, I guess I just kind of skirted around the questions and maybe referred to, you know, what I have is my, my family as opposed to my parents. And it got to the point where it was March of freshman year and I hadn't told anyone on campus about my life at home. and. It was my mom's death anniversary, So I was like feeling really stressed out. And I felt like I really needed to tell someone. And I ended up telling uh, this guy from my freshman dorm that I was friends with. But this was by no means like my best friend at school. He was just like around the dorm when I was like really upset. I was like, hey, I just need to talk to someone. And this friend... He comes from a very wealthy family, very white family in the northeast of the U.S. And so, you know, I, I tell him all of this. I kind of unload all of this stuff on on him. And, you know, he's never experienced any of this. So he doesn't really know what to do with this, like, unloaded trauma. Uh, I think he handled it very well. I certainly felt better just from the act of unloading. And then afterwards, he just randomly a few weeks later came to my dorm and was like, hey, Maria, my mom sent homemade granola for you. Um, and I was like, um, I, hey, I've, I've, never, I've not your, never met your mom. He was like, yeah, but I told her, you know, about your story and she knows that like, he liked this granola, which, to be fair, I would always steal it, his homemade granola from his room. So there was there was, <laughs> there was a basis for why it was granola. <laughs> it was just like, okay, what can I do? Um, but yeah, so I've never met this woman ever. And I didn't even really stay close friends with this person. But for four years over our Stanford career, every now and then, his mom would send me homemade granola. It was called Hippie Crack, by the way. Um, hippie Crack. And God, it was delicious. 
But he would like we weren't we wouldn't have talked for a year or months. I would see him drunk at a party and he'd be like, Maria, my mom's sending you granola. Why? Because <laughs> I have a dead mom? Like <laughs> Weird gap to fill, but, but like, you know, I appreciate it. You know, like, it's one of those things. It's like, you could be offended or I don't know. You could be weirded out. You could be offended. You could be triggered. I don't know. But you also get to like choose how you react to a lot of things. And that one, I just had to laugh. (laughs) Like, what else do you do when you're getting granola from a woman you've never met? Because you have a dead mom. Maria has two older sisters, one who is six years older than her and one who is eight years older. She hasn't seen her dad since she was 11. So after her grandma died, she went to live with her aunt. My aunt was my uh, mother's sister and they never got along. So there was already some like weird tension that I was coming into. They had three kids of their own. I was coming in at the oldest, even though I was the youngest of my sisters. Mm -hmm. So... My older sisters basically said, fuck this. I'm not going to join this family. We're going to stay with our grandma and, like, pioneer ourselves. I was too young to do that, so I got stuck in this family that I didn't really belong in. And then after many, many years of just straight hating my life and not fitting into this family, in ninth grade, I remember in my Stanford essay, uh, a simmering came to a boil, as yeah, as uh, eighteen, seventeen-year-old Maria put it. Hit um, me up thermodynamics. A, a, a simmering came to a boil. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. So in, in ninth grade, um, basically just hated my aunt, hated being in this family that I never felt, felt a part of. Got in this huge fight where my aunt brought up the point of like, you know. Where's your mom? You're, I've been your your guardian longer than your mom's been. You're almost as long as your mom's been your mom. Like some fucked up shit. Uh, and I remember just being like, fine, that's it. That's it for me. Like I I can't be here anymore. And so I told my aunt I'm going to my sister's. I'm leaving, going to Kara's. And she was like, fine, if you leave, you're never allowed to come back. And I was like, that sounds good. Uh, so I said yes. And then I called Kara. <laughs> and hello. Uh, hey, funny story. Um, you know how you're 23 and I'm 14? Um, I, I I need to come live with you. Uh, I can't be here anymore. Like, uh, this is horrible. I, I'm depressed. I like I need to leave, and like maybe I don't remember the situation as well as I should. But she was like, "Okay, all right, we're gonna figure it out." And I went to live with my 23 year old sister. I'm 25, and like I can't fathom having a 14 year old as a fucking responsibility. <laughs> this is why I don't blame my older sister for not wanting kids. She's like, I've already had the worst phase of a child. Like. No, thank you. I already went through it with you, and it wasn't fun. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that checks out. Logistically, how did you pay for things? Like when you were oh. 14 and you moved in with your 23-year-old sister? Um, We got some money from Social Security. wasn't much. It's like I think like on the order of like six to $800 a month. 
So my sister worked many, many jobs. And then I got multiple jobs at 16. In 16, I got one job. And then my senior year of high school, I worked 35 to 40 hours a week. I saved up like 14 grand in a year working full time. I had probably like one. I, I can count on one hand how many Friday and Saturdays I had off my senior year. Wow. Yeah. So when I got to Stanford, I was like, yeah, this life is easy. Like, I got so many hours I can sleep. This is crazy. <laughs> Classes don't start till nine. It's great. Stanford. I'm going to put Stanford on blast right now. When I was applying to colleges, um, one thing that I looked at was does the college recognize independent students? Which basically was do they recognize if you don't have parents that support you? As an 18-year-old, like, I don't know, maybe some college admissions officer would tell me I'm wrong right now. I don't know. But this is just what I internalized was, like, Duke literally told me we won't recognize the fact that you don't have parents. And I was like, well, bitch, like, I don't understand how to fill out <laughs> all my tax forms. Like, I, I don't have parent W-2s. Like, I don't understand. So I literally just, like, you know, didn't. I like chose not to formally apply to Duke because of that. And, you know, Stanford from the application was very understanding. And I thought, you know, my whole application of like, hello, dead parents, no one live with my sister was like pretty clear. But alas, for some reason, every single year they would put a hold on my account because, uh, you know, you have to, like, fill out all your tax forms and all your financial aid forms. They would put a hold on, on my account every single year that I had not submitted parent W-2s. You know, if I just had to send, like, one single email to fix this, like, maybe it wouldn't have been so, like, ingrained in my memory. But they just, for some reason, emails weren't enough. Phone calls weren't enough. It still wouldn't lift the hold on my account to register for classes. So I literally had to go in multiple times, like every single year and be like, hi, hello, I don't have parents. Please take the parent W-2 hold off of my account. And then, you know, senior year, I just got pretty fucking done with this whole thing. And I was like, you know, thinking about, you know, myself, I'm at the position where I can take this. I can laugh at it. I can I can realize the absurdity in the situation. But for people that have just lost their parents, this could be incredibly triggering. This could be incredibly tra- incredibly traumatic. Like, this is, like, Stanford, fucking be better. And so senior year, I finally decided, fuck this bullshit. And I decided to write an email, a very strongly worded email, back to the financial aid department. And I was like, hello. Please remove the parent W-2, hold for my account. I haven't had parents for the last three years, and I still don't. Thank you, Maria. Like, (laughs) you know, if you have any questions. uh, You know, I haven't had parents for the last four years and still don't. Did they reply? They didn't reply. But the parent W-2 hold was lifted from my account. Sick. We are back, 
and good news. It's time to talk about the weird places Maria has cried. Freshman year, probably two months into being at school, we had Screw Your Roommate, which they really need to rename that. Basically, you you set your roommate up on a blind date, and the whole dorm goes on these blind dates as a group. And it's so strange, but you're a freshman in college. Everything is strange. So I remember we were at the ice rink. It was probably 8 p.m. on a Friday, and, you know, my older sister, God bless her soul, I owe her so much, but is probably the least affectionate person. Like, she literally doesn't hug me, has never said I love you in my entire existence. Like, you you know, there's just words aren't her love language. Sure. It's like, hey, Maria, I'll do your taxes for you. Or, you know, hey, come live with me when I'm 23. Like, she's someone that you have to interpret her love and, and really understand uh, how she's going to show it because it's not going to be in the normal uh, form factors that you would hope. So, you know, even when I got into Stanford, the amount of praise that I got was literally a good job text message. So there was already some deep-seated, fucked-up, like, deprivation of affection that I was having. And I remember, sh- you know, three-hour time difference, 8 p.m. in California, it's late on the East Coast, uh, and so she was drunk, and she sent me this text verbatim. I am drunk right now, but I want to let you know that you being at Stanford is the proudest I've ever been. I'm on this blind date <laughs> with my roommates and these boys, and I literally in ice skates, and I just start sobbing. Like, <laughs> uncontrollably (laughs) weeping because I have finally gotten this like words of affirmation out of my sister for the first time in my entire life. (laughs) And, you know, in high school, she had to play mom when I, I lived with her from ninth grade, you know, to when I went to Stanford. And even when I go back now as a 25 year old, she has a bedroom for me. So She's a good sister, but, you know, just doesn't show love in the way that I accept love, um, except for that time. And it just it just got me. I was so overwhelmed uh, and openly weeping in front of uh, my entire dorm. RAs were called to check if I was OK. Uh, yeah, it was it was one of the most public open open weepings that, that I've had, you know, when you're supposed to be happy on a date. And instead, I'm crying about my past trauma and my lack of affection from my sister. So, hey, normal, normal things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would have been like you still wouldn't have told anyone at that point. Um, that would no. have. So like, RAs were called. They're like, are you OK? You're like, yeah, don't worry about it. This is a normal thing that happens to me. Uh, just my sister told me she's proud. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you try to really pretend that you're normal for a while. And then you're like, fuck, I, I gotta tell people I'm fucked up. It's, <laughs> it's coming out. It's coming to the surface. I really gotta let people know what they're in for. Do you feel like, is, is there weird sh- triggering shit that makes you cry? Um, yes. 
uh, I would say that at the point where I'm at now, I actually don't miss my mom. I don't think I knew her long enough to miss her. I don't think, you know, from what I know, that I really should miss this exact person. Um, so what bothers me now is just not having a mom, which I think is explicitly different. Whereas I I do miss my grandma, which I think is like uh, a bit of a distinction to draw. But yeah, any any like big life moment where everyone's parents are around feels fucking shitty. Fuck all of them. Fuck. It, it makes you and like you know in reality it's it, you should be happy. Everyone's with their parents. Um but for some reason yeah, like graduation. I hated graduation round 1 so much that I told my family not to come out for graduation round 2. So yeah, I feel like any any big life moments definitely bring up the like flashing reminder of alas, you do not have parents. Why aren't you more self-pitying? It's <laughs> <laughs> like so, you have a lot of right to be very self-pitying. So I would actually argue the, the when you say, oh, I don't think you have self-pity. Oh, no. I sit in my room sometimes crying, saying, fuck, I wish I had parents. Fuck, I wish I had a mom. There are definitely self-pitying moments. And I, I don't think that that's anything that you should think is shameful either. Self-pity, like, yes, you can be sad that you had some shitty cards dealt to you. Be sad. Feel it. That's fine. I think there's a difference when you're then angry at people that haven't had trauma. And that's just not going to get you anywhere. In life, and if you think about, you know, the lives that your kids are going to have, you're not going to want them to have trauma in their life of you dying. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not great for anyone. Um, <laughs> but I think the, the polarizing opinion that I have is that I would not go back and change really anything that I've, I've gone through. Like, yes, do I wish I had parents? Fucking obviously. It'd be great to have a mom. I'd love to have a mom to call in the middle of fucking 2020 pandemic. Like, all the world's going to shit. Like, I would love someone that just wants to, like, hear my voice on the phone indefinitely, you know? So I think there are, like, I will not deny, yes, I still would love to have a mother. Uh, but I would not toss a coin to chance and go back, have my mom, you know, not die, and then, like, risk losing where I'm at right now. And I think that's when people hear, wait, you wouldn't go back and have your mother? Like, no, because I really like where I'm at right now. And I don't think, I, like, truly do not believe I would have gotten to where I am right now if my path didn't have all these fucking crazy curveballs that literally derailed my entire life, but it led me on some wonky-ass path to where I got to now, um, and I, I just wouldn't risk it. 
I just don't think it's worth it to go back for for that mom to risk everything that I have now. At what point did you have that realization, though, that like I'm I'm happy with this life. I wouldn't change things. Um, I think I kind of like knew it for a long time, whether or not I was able to like put the words to it is a whole other can of worms. But I will actually pinpoint a pretty pivotal moment was I, you know, hadn't seen my family for a while, was at Stanford, was flying to Philly to visit a friend from home. And my sisters were like, you know, let's drive to Philly and see Maria for a little bit. So I met, you know, my friend Nick dropped me off at a bar where I met my sisters. They had already started drinking and we just we made friends with this bartender and Philly, and we just got very drunk. Uh, it, it was like 3 p.m. You know, it, it was like literally midday, and we're just getting smashed at this bar. And uh, <laughs> then the conversation transitions to our family, which is dicey. You know, the Sandbrook sisters, we're, we're not ones to, to talk about our feelings together, I'm the one that will talk about my feelings kind of everywhere, you know. What do you mean? I follow uh, on a podcast on, on many platforms. Um, so, you know, when when my older sisters start talking about their feelings, like shit's getting real, and so you know, we start talking just about you know, my, my oldest sister really does have all of this like sacred secret knowledge she's like the fucking cia of our family that just like knows all these like deep dark secrets that for some reason she's just never shared um (laughs) they come out at a bar in philly at 2 p.m when we're blackout like i don't understand and the conversation comes up and kara is saying like maria i'm gonna tell you something that upsets Danny a lot when I say it. And I was like, all right, I'm 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 ready. Give it to me. And she's like, I don't miss mommy. Also, funny thing, because my mom died so early, we never called her, I never called her mom. So in my head, she stuck as mommy, which as a 25-year-old, like, sounds really <laughs> Mommy? Funny. Yeah, like, I say mommy, like, which is, because I'm stuck in seven-year-old Maria, you know? Like, I never progressed oh. to mom, mother, like never had teenage fights of calling her a bitch so like in my head she's just mommy (laughs) (laughs) interesting thing to note about brains Um, (laughs) psychoanalyze me if you want so sweet yeah so I'm like mommy Kara was like yeah I I don't miss her and I was like I agree and and so we just had this like really open conversation where we all got to voice like, this is why I don't miss her. This is like, you know, this is how I've processed things. And so I think at, at that point was really when it solidified like, oh, yeah, no. OK, it, it is OK to not miss her and be grateful for where we all are right now. And I think before then it was sort of I felt guilty, you know, you, you kind of feel guilty. And you're like, I don't miss my dead mom. Like. <laughs> I mean, who the fuck says that? <laughs> but it's true, you know, and and that shouldn't make you a shitty person. That shouldn't make you shitty in any way. 
Yeah. I, I support that. The most hurtful thing that a significant other has ever said to me. We were arguing about fucking uh, like adopted dogs. Like whether you could like go to a shelter and get like a shelter dog versus whatever. And um, we were talking about, you know, does that dog hold their trauma? And then we were taught that just transferred to like, okay, do how do humans hold their trauma? Like it like basically if there was an abuse puppy, are they ever gonna be saved? Are they fucked for life? And I remember uh, asserting being like, hello, as the token fucked up kid in the room, let me I was I was like kind of trying to explain the difference between humans and dogs. (laughs) And you know, this is the person I was dating uh, did not have really any life trauma, beautiful parent, like lovely, p- loving parents, super supportive grandparents, all still alive, like just hadn't been through death. And his response back to me was, OK, I guess you can just be that fucked up little kid forever. <laughs> Mic drop. But what? Excuse me? Um. And it got heated because he was like, you just think you're you're morally superior because you've had this trauma. But, yeah, when I was like, wow, you just cast me as this identity forever. And, like, I'm actually kind of, like, letting go of this identity. I think it comes up sometimes. We talk about very pertinent conversations. But, like, no, I... Bitch, I don't want to be the fucked up kid forever. I want to grow and have so much more of my experience be not it. And I feel like I, I really have. And I feel like for most people that really just comes with time and like developing yourself so much more after the fact and just total change of stimuli. That was part one of our conversation with Maria. Get excited for part two where we talk about Thanksgiving and dead mom jokes. Thank you so much to her, to Brian Pedersen for the support, and to Coco Brudden for the music. As always, tell your friends about us, do cool things, and if you liked it, give us a review wherever you listen. Thanks.